Welcome to the What's Next podcast with Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is a top-rated speaker, thought leader, and sales and marketing influencer known around the world as an industry visionary. Today, she's using her 20 years of sales experience to help companies focus on creating a high-growth culture while adapting to the new realities of the market. She's always asking herself, what's next? Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast. I just couldn't be more thrilled with my guest today, but so far in my career, I've had the honor of sharing the stage or podcast really with some of the greatest management sales and marketing thinkers around. What you might not know is that many agree that my guest today is one of the people that created an entire genre of writing about business and management, which opened the door for so many of them and myself. Tom Peters is the co-author with Robert Waterman of In Search of Excellence, the book that changed the way the world does business and often tagged as the best business book ever. As a matter of fact, it was the very first business book I ever read back in 1984 while I was still in high school. 16 books later and almost 30 years later, he's still at the forefront of management and is considered the management guru in the industry. He single-handedly invented what many consider a great genre that has changed so many companies. And today I'm humbled to welcome him to my What's Next podcast. Welcome, Tom Peters. Well, thank you very much, Tiffany. It is a delight to be here. Yeah, and I love that people call you the Red Bull of management because I got this little nickname that I'm the cayenne pepper. <laughs> so nice. I, Absolutely. I know. Well, then, then this is a perfect pairing. It is a perfect pairing, the Red Bull and the cayenne pepper. Right. So I'm going to start something out today with something I call bullish and bearish. And it's, you know, not that painful, I don't think. Uh, just asking a couple questions and you can just flat out answer literally bullish and bearish. But of course, uh, some people go in the gray zone, so you can take it any way you'd like. So the first one is AI, artificial intelligence, will create new jobs. Bearish-ish. Okay, let's give us the I've got, ish. A, I've got a problem with that, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay, all righty. Uh, next one, hiring for culture fit, not just job skills. Bullish times 73, Red Bull, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> all right, that's great. And the next one, which I think you'll find near and dear to your heart, is excellence is a journey, not a destination. Bullish almost as much or maybe even more than the prior one about culture. Great. Well, thank you. It's just, you know, a, a quick way for me to uh, sure. get people sort of juices flowing. So I'm going to dive right in. You know, in your book, In Search of Excellence, I love chapter six, uh, which was titled Close to the Customer. As a matter of fact, I tweeted uh, an entire page of, of it out uh, the other day. Because, you know, customer experience has become this big, hot topic of late, but I think people don't realize that people have been talking about getting close to the customer for a long time. Uh, and you say, and I quote, a simple summary of our research uncovered on the customer attribute is this. The excellent companies really are close to the customer. That's it. Other companies talk about it. The excellent companies do it. I'd love for you to unpack that for us a little bit. Well, <clears throat> there are a couple of things I would say. Uh, somewhat contradictory in part. But first of all, going back to maybe 1978 or 79 when we did the research, uh, they've had ups and downs since then, but 
the company that everybody talked about, sort of the same way they talked about GE in the 90s, was IBM. And IBM didn't necessarily have the best products, uh, but they had the best service. And it's more important to not say it that way. It's more important to say, and they had the best service people. Uh, the products didn't necessarily work all that way back in the 80s, but the IBM guys, mainly guys in those days, the IBM guys were always there to hold your hand. And so it was, you know, Mr. Watson Sr., who, uh, you know, who cre created IBM, was actually called the Computing Tabulating and Recording Company. He did all these things that are kind of funny, but they, within the time, were not funny at all. Like, service people had to wear coats and ties. Prior to that, the service guy had grease, you know, pocket protector, grease stains, and he really wanted them to be, again, mainly men, gentlemen, or occasionally ladies. So, you know, IBM just absolutely, positively, unequivocally lived that, and we were very much influenced by it. The only, the only uh, asterisk that I want to put on it, and it's a pretty big asterisk that we can talk about, is I don't think we put quite as much emphasis on the people side as we should have. And my kind of one-liner or two-liner today is that the customer comes first, but the people come more first. And I, there was a book that came out about a year or so ago written by a hospital CEO, and the title of it, and I think I've got it right, I certainly have it close, said, Putting the Patient Second. And the, you know, he, they began the book with a one-liner, and the one-liner said, when you finish a hospital experience, you don't say, suppose it was surgery, you don't say, boy, that was a great suturing job the surgeon did. You said, wow, those people were fabulous. The tech was fabulous. The doc was fabulous. The nurse was fabulous. But you talk about the staff coming first. And in hospitals, of course, in the midst of our god-awful, totally screwed-up healthcare system, the people at the front line have all kinds of nonsense heaped on them every day. And if you can't put them in a position where they can service the patient, then, in fact, the whole patient, to use your term, patient experience goes to hell in a handbasket. The nurse has to have the time to look you in the eye, and uh, you know, which has become a big deal because now they're standing at bedside and they've got a little device in their hands and they're pumping data into the device and they have a five-minute interaction with the patient and never look at him or her. And as we all know, it's the looking and the caring that does as much for healing as that surgery or the meds. That's a long-winded answer to your question for which I apologize. Well, but it goes back to the second sort of bullish and bearish around culture. You know, I'm a firm believer that if your employees are happy and you treat your employees right, you know, the natural result of that is going to be they're going to treat your customers right. Would you agree? Yep. I, abs I absolutely agree. There's a guy by the name of John DeJulius who is, uh, ran, ran or runs a successful string of spas and has written about customer service and his or wrote a book about customer service and his one-liner, which is just about what you said, is he said, remember your customers can never be any happier than your employees. And, uh, 
you know, despite the fact that I've been doing this for a million years, that one liner really captured an incredible amount for me. Yeah, and I think customer-led is part of who they are, right? In their DNA, um, the people who get hired, you know, they get hired to match the culture, as we just said, and they bring new talents. But if they don't um, fit in the culture, it, it falls apart. So what can leaders do that are listening, you know, to shift their culture from, let's say, you know, the old adage of product-led to being more customer-led, especially as you've just described, right now they have all these tools at their disposal, whether it's a, you know, an iPhone or an iPad or um, <clears throat> all kinds of artificial intelligence, et cetera. So what can they do to lean away from product-led or balance it with customer-led? Well, one thing relative to what we're just talking about, and, you know, I have just finished the last version of a book that I'm writing, and there is, I'm going to annoy you probably, Tiffany, because I'm going to tell a story that's a teeny bit longer than it ought to be. Uh, <laughs> so I have 9,000 flight legs to my credit, roughly. I'm on a flight from all, I'm going to be on a flight from Albany to uh, Washington to BWI. As always, there are seven wheelchairs parked right at the head of the jetway. Uh, things are tight. The weather's not great. The pilots come off another flight, and, you know, really it's cutting things down to the minute. The pilot gets to the head of the line of wheelchairs, turns to the woman in the wheelchair, and says, would you mind if I pushed your wheelchair down the jetway? 9,000 shots, 9,000 attempts. I have never seen a pilot do that in my life. Uh, success secret. A, it was Southwest Airlines, and in the words of their former president, Colleen Barrett, we hire for listening, caring, smiling, and saying thank you. And we hire for it as much in the mechanics and the pilots as we do and for the flight attendants. And so it really begins with hiring, for heaven's sakes. And, you know, there, there I would love to talk so much about this. There's a pharmaceutical company, and I quote, the CEO, and I note pharmaceuticals because, of course, they're technical on top of technical. And he says, our first criteria for hiring people is that they be nice people. And after you've been through the technical hiring process, they really go through a, uh, a blackballing line, meaning they talk to five or six or seven or eight or nine people, any one of whom has the ability to turn the hiring decision off. And as this guy said, he said, look, don't kid yourself. There are a lot of great technical people out there, and there is no reason why technical and nice can't fit in the same sentence. So, you know, I'm really an absolute total fanatic on the topic of hiring for listening, caring, smiling, saying thank you, nice, empathy, and so on. And I beat HR people up all the time and say, Use those words. Do not use words like experiences positive reactions while dealing with others. Use the word nice. Tiffany knows what it means. Tom knows what it means. We all know what it means. So, you know, there are many other things I could say, but, you know, it, it really begins with the hiring process. 
And I, I couldn't agree more. You know, even if you look at what Zappos has done with Tony Heisch, I mean, you know, where you go through a full six-week training, uh, you know, they're sort of famous for the story, but you go through a six-week training and, and if you're going to work in customer service, customer success center, and they will hand you a check for, let's say, $2,500 to not take the job because they want I, people there for the right reason. Yep. Yep. Ab- absolutely. No, I I think that's the case. And And, you know, one of my other relative it's it's uh, it's not that much of a variation on the theme but one of my real bugbears about promoting leaders and talking about leadership is we talk about all these sexy things like authenticity and vision and we don't talk about the things leaders do like hire people and so i'm talking about tiffany as a leader can i can she say about herself, I am a professional at hiring people? They're things that leaders do. They listen, they hire, they evaluate, they promote. And, you know, we, we look at, we look, as I said, we look at the hyper sexy stuff and we don't talk about what a leader does from one moment to the next. And that just irritates the dickens out of me. Yeah, and I think a lot of it may have to do with, um, that leaders now, well, at least I'd love your opinion, uh, because <laughs> sort of me talking to you about leadership is sort of an oxymoron. But if you uh, if you uh, talk about leadership and leaders, you know, it, it comes down to coaching, right, and spending the time to coach as part of those attributes that they have, right, that are really important. And sometimes when people get promoted through the ranks, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, they kind of reach their level of incompetency, right? They, it means they may have been good at the job they were doing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a good quote unquote manager, coach, all the things you just said. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I lo- you know, again, I would say, as I said, in answering your short questions, I would agree a hundred percent. And if there was a number higher than a hundred, I would agree about that. The fact that, you, you know, they, there's the old one liner, the fact that you are the best salesperson does not mean that you are the best sales leader. And I really want to go off on a wild and crazy screaming, shouting match uh, on this topic. Leaders are in the people business. Leaders develop people. I think management or leadership, and frankly, I don't care what you call it, and I you know, have made a few surgeons irritated by saying this, a leader, in the course of her, his career, has the opportunity to significantly affect the development of their fellow human beings and can save a lot more lives than any surgeon. That's what you do. There's a wonderful Les Wexner who founded the limited stores. Uh, There was some point, I think it was when Jack Welsh retired, and they had a list of people whose companies had actually outperformed GE, and one of them was the limited. And Wexner was asked in this interview with Business Week, they said, well, what's your secret? And he said, my secret was when I became as excited about developing people as I had been about picking fashion trends. And, you know, you want you want people to get just turned on about developing people. And, you know, if you're my age, which is 100 years old, the only stuff you remember at the end is the people you helped. Uh, in a period, as, as as I like to say, and I use a slide with a tombstone, I have never seen a tombstone with somebody's net worth on it. Probably not. 
probably not. And, and I think that also comes down to something you're also, you know, hugely uh, passionate about this sort of authentically enthusiastic, right? You just, you not only have to be good, but you have to be enthusiastic about it, just as you just described, right? He wanted to get just as excited about coaching yep. and developing people as he did about fashion. And I don't think you can fake enthusiasm when it comes to the people side of the business. Right. I don't think you can fake enthusiasm, and I'm not going to disagree with you in the least. But my other one-liner in that regard is no matter how bad the day is, leaders don't have bad days. And so sometimes when all the yogurt is hitting the fan, it's not that you have to go around with a giggly grin, but you've got to project that same amount of positivism, even when you know, rationally, there is not one damn thing to be positive about in that particular day. You lose your biggest customer. Well, you're hardly laughing about it or chuckling about it. But what you are showing is that leadership skill of projecting the energy and projecting the guess what, gang, our lives will not come to an end. The sun will rise tomorrow. And so you, you some, sometimes you've got to fake it a little bit. Yeah, and I think it comes down to the fact that people want to be inspired, you know, at work. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think through my career, I mean, going going back to this theme of coaching and, and developing people, I mean, there is no way, you know, if I were to map back my career, sort of the forks in the road and where a person sort of grabbed me and sort of led me towards where they knew I should be, where I didn't know I should be yet, um, and they saw things in me I didn't yet you know, believe or maybe understood. And it was because they were willing to take the time to develop the people side. And it didn't mean I worked for them. It could have been, you know, we have very similar friends and and people you brought along have brought along me. So I feel like I'm a second generation Tom (laughs) because, you know, people you brought along the Dan Pinks and and, um, the Seth Godins and the, you know, Simon Sinek's and all of them you know, they were, have been fantastic to me. And so I think that if you, if you lead and you do that for somebody, they'll turn around and do it for someone else because they know the difference it made in their career. Yeah, I totally agree. I do want to put and, one, one of those asterisks more uh, also on this one. Uh, with all due respect to you and me and Dan and Seth and so on, the best, I don't know whether you call it management or leadership or nothing, the most important book to me in the sense that at the age of you know, 70, it changed my view of the world that I have read in a long time is Susan Cain's book, Quiet, one word, Q-U-I-E-T. And you know what, what she says in the book, I mean, enthusiasm is not about decibels. And in fact, enthusiasm may be inversely related to decibels. And her point is pay attention to the introverts Actually, the introverts, a lot of research shows, are the best leaders or the better leaders, and go for the quiet ones. I, I am so guilty, and Susan goes through this research that's just staggering, but I guess it's not, and it says that if you're a noisy one, you are looked at as more physically attractive, more energetic, more intelligent, and that's just what we do. Well, we're bloody wrong about that. And so <laughs> pay attention to the quiet ones, he said, well, in as I, loud a voice as he could possibly muster. 
<laughs> you know, there's irony. There's irony in lots, right? Yeah. Well, I, I had, yeah, I had Lisa Bodell on uh, the podcast uh, a few weeks back, and she was all, uh, you know, her concept is a, on this diversity of teams, and so diversity of teams, not just being men and women, but it could be introvert, extrovert, right? Quiet, not quiet. Yeah. It's, it's not just region, right? It's also thinking style. Uh, you know, in the way that they, uh, you used Southwest earlier, you know, that isn't just disrupting an industry, it's disrupting a whole mental model of business, right? Which yep. is this thinking of, okay, well, I can go copy what Southwest has done from a business model standpoint, and there's a number who tried and failed. And then you'll see some, that, some companies that have copied Southwest and succeeded because they did the mental model as well, where they're flight attendants and their pilots may actually offer to help you as well. Yeah. Right? And if you, I, I think jet blue is a good example of that. And jet blue starting with the their one, CEO. Right. That's right. They, uh, right. So jet blue and, and even Virgin, right. Same thing. Where yeah, Virgin, the same deal. Absolutely. It's the mental model and the business model. So when you think about diversity of teams and going down this path of people and introverts and extroverts and culture and coaching, et cetera, what have you found in, you know, your conversations where you've seen people miss the subtlety around this kind of diversity of teams. Yeah. Well, I I have a term and I call it and you you hinted at this or alluded to it. I have a term and I call it lowercase d diversity. It has nothing to do with skin color, gender, or any of the other incredibly important things, but it's every dimension known to humankind. Uh, you know, educated at Harvard, uh, dropped out of high school. Short, tall, fat, thin, look at the world through a telescope, look at the world as a why. It's just, you know, and if that is important and has been important, which I believe it is, it's 10 times more important in 2017 than it was 10 years ago. You have got to be surrounded by astounding variety of points of view, people, and so on or you are DOA in the crazy world in which we exist right now. And, you know, Gary Hamill, the great business strategy person, uh, you know, pointed out that the worst example of non-diversity tends to be boards of directors. You know, they went to the same school, they know the same people, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and it's just, and, and it's almost criminal. Uh, but, uh, Again, there's 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 no there's no great secret other than a commitment to saying, you know, the way I like to put it is if you walk down the hall in your company and you recognize nine out of 10 people, you've got a problem. I had a horrible experience probably 10 years ago. I was on some I think it was on CNN on an economics panel. God alone knows why I'm not an economist. I don't even like economists, actually. But that's a private comment. <laughs> uh, and one of the other people on the on the uh, on the panel was Fred Smith, the FedEx founder, who I knew a little bit. And Fred and I were just shooting the bull ahead of time. And he looked at me at one point and he said, who is the most interesting person that you've met in the last 60 days? And how do I get in touch with him? I turned white because, you know, here I am supposed to be on top of all this stuff and meeting all these wild and crazy and wonderful and different people, I didn't have a good answer. And I thought, holy smokes, I've fallen in to the same, same category. 
and hang out fundamentally with people I know, read books by people I know, and you really have to push yourself extremely to make sure you don't get caught in the same, same trap. I totally agree. And and a lot of that has to do with going back to hiring. Yeah. You you kind of you hire what you know. Absolutely. Uh, you coach how you were coached. You know, you really have to be a a student of what you do. I'm a firm believer in always sort of always learning and always trying to learn, you know, and strive you need to a do good something coach different. for that to be the case. Yes. You know, that because yeah, because I, I think we all the stuff on uh, perception, et cetera, et cetera, says that even if you are God, you are going to fall into a lot of same, same traps and really not know yourself. You've got to have, you know, you've got to have a spouse, you've got to have a best friend, you've got to have somebody, particularly if you're two or three levels up on the boss chain, somebody who can just beat the heck out of you at the end of a meeting or whenever, or when they look at the new hires, Somebody really can talk down and dirty, frankly, with you and walk up to you and say, Tiffany, I never really realized how big an idiot you were. Look at what you did with this hiring. Or Tom, better than Tiffany, you're an even bigger idiot. Uh, but somebody's got to be able to, to tell you that. And that's not about feedback. Feedback is about how you do this or that with employees. This is about a buddy. You can call him a coach. You can call him a spouse. You can call them or whatever you want, but you need a buddy who will tell you when you're full of baloney. Yeah, I like to call it my symphony. And, and why I say that is because in my orchestra that, you know, I'm sort of the conductor of my life in many ways, but I have people who play very specific instruments. Some are more quiet and they play the background, but really important to the overall flow of my life. And then I have others that are very loud yeah, and you know, it make their presence known. Uh, but when I put my circle together, it plays this wonderful sort of orchestra. You know, it plays the symphony of my life. And and I work hard to make sure that I have just different instruments, if you will. Um, it's not just everyone saying you're doing a great job. That somebody is in my circle that's going to say, hey, you may want to do this or do that. And I think there's a difference also between coaches and people who sponsor you. Right or are your champion? Those are very different. So you need I totally champion. Agree. That's an incredibly important point to me. I, I just yes. totally agree with you. Co uh, coaches, are, I mean, also you've got the problem that coaching is one of those words that we have diluted so badly uh, over the last five or ten years. Everybody hangs a shingle out and says, "I'm a coach." That the term, alas is a fabulous term and it's almost become meaningless. Today, uh, you know, the speed of business is not slowing down. It's probably even accelerating, which is frightening on so many levels. And you're a huge fan of sort of this bias for action, right? Action-oriented companies, but speed is this new currency. How can leaders back up and say, I have to give equal time to what we've been just talking about, the whole coaching and hiring and mentoring and yep. building effective teams and looking at mental models like, how do they navigate all that? I, I I wish I had a decent answer. I said how much I like Susan Cain's book, Quiet, a couple minutes ago. Well, there was a duo that came out that 
both blew me away. One was her book, and the other one by a guy by the name of Frank Partnoy <clears throat> has a one-word title, and the title is Wait, W-A-I-T. And he makes this incredible point that is as obvious as the end of your nose, reflecting before you open your mouth is what differentiates you and I from the apes and our puppy dog. And I, I'm kind of, you know, a recovering, I'm not a recovering bias for action or, but I'm a recovering speed for speed's sake. Uh, you know, for example, there's a guy by the name of Dove Froman, who was a senior Intel guy, sort of godfather of the Israeli high tech industry. Uh, and he wrote a book called Leadership the Hard Way. And one of the main points in his book that I took away from his book is he says, for any leader, 50% of your time should be unscheduled. And he says in the same chapter as that, he says, you must daydream. He said, about 100% of my ideas have come from daydreaming. And, you know, I would love to go on for the next hour on this topic alone. You know, God did not demand that you respond to all emails within 37 seconds. Slow down, take deep breaths, think a little bit, get up, walk outside on a sunny day or a snowy day, as the case may be, and stop responding to emails and teaching people that you respond to emails instantly. I mean, it's on my top 10 list. Frenzy does not lead to excellence. Excellence, which is, you know, is a word I love. The day that frenzy takes over is the day that excellence dies. And if there's any human being who has taught us that, it is Steve Jobs. Did he ever have a product introduction that wasn't at least two years late? No. And I think the quiet reflection, uh, you know, kind of being more mindful is another topic that's making its way into the corporate nomenclature. You know, having meditation rooms, you know, whether you listen to what Arianna Huffington says or even our CEO, Steve uh uh, Mark Benioff for Salesforce, and we actually have quiet meditation rooms, we have floors, we have quiet spaces so that people can step away from their desk and take those moments to be reflective on, okay, what am I actually trying to do? Uh, but it goes back to culture. If you don't have a culture that sort of allows that kind of uh, environment where people feel it's okay to step away from their desk and go into a quiet room for a couple of minutes yeah. right, and not respond to emails. Well, I've got, and, I've got and, to say, and I don't know whether Salesforce does this, and I love you guys and I love Mark. And so this isn't necessarily a criticism, but it is a Silicon Valley criticism. Stop with the cafeterias. Let people go out for lunch. Let them talk to other people. Let them talk to the cop on the corner. I really am worried about same-same-ism in Silicon Valley. I am terrified by it. And, you know, we just, it's, uh, you know, forget, forget the part about extreme obesity on the part of 27-year-olds who have never looked up from their computer and are handed bags of potato chips every five minutes by their leaders. Let me not go off on that one. But, but you know, really, it's, I, I totally agree with you. And somehow we've got to get breaks and somehow we've got to get exposed to other people. Uh, you know, I remember years ago, I knew the guy who was the CEO at Levi Strauss. And I remember his wonderful one-liner. He said, 
don't go down into Levi's Plaza and count the number of people wearing Levi's jeans and think that that's their market share. And I had this wonderful thing happen. This is this is 30 odd years ago. The automobile companies were having the crap beaten out of them. And I was teaching in an executive program at Stanford and I had a GM fast tracker and he and I really got along brilliantly. And at the end of the year or the end of the semester as the case may be, we went out for a beer and I remember him saying to me, he said, you know, he said, you're a pretty nice class, but it sure wasn't the most important thing that happened to me. And I said, well, you've broken my heart, but tell me what it was. He said, the most important thing that happened to me was stopping at traffic lights in Palo Alto and discovering that not all cars were made by General Motors. You know, he said, I can read the stats as well as anybody else. But until you stop at a traffic light and you've got a Nissan on one side and a Toyota behind you and a Honda on the left, he said, it didn't really occur to me the degree to which we were having the tar beaten out of us until I lived in a different world. And, and I, you know, I put that on my you know, top 10 insights list and have been holding on to it for 30 years. Yeah, it's, there's a book by a gentleman by the name of Martin Lindstrom, who's also been on my podcast, and he wrote a book, Small Data, about that very thing. Get yeah. out, go see your customers, go live in their homes. He can't help the toy company come up with an entirely new um, toy just by looking at magnets on the refrigerator in different parts of the world. Where they were on the refrigerator actually led him to understand that children were either playing with the magnets if they were low, or if they were high, they were used as a remembrance of a trip. And that, that small is so little thing. so cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I, I, mean, I don't think, I didn't endorse that book, but I endorsed an earlier book of his. And uh, I, I think he's really stuff. terrific. Great stuff. And just to go back to that, we actually don't have cafeterias for that very reason, by the way. FYI. Well, good. Well done. I knew Salesforce <laughs> was as good as I thought you were. <laughs> but it, we, but it, uh, is, it is a problem when you, you know, when you, when you look, you know, and some of these people, you know, Facebook and Google, and maybe they're better than they used to be. But, you know, that's not a perk. It's a kiss of death. Well, there's, there's something to be said for the balance of that, which is, you know, this, you know, unstructured conversation the sort of the water cooler of you know 20 years ago is right. now the cafeteria or the coffee place you know etc not so if we I, all went to stanford and got our computer science well, degrees true. and we are <laughs> all 24 years old and we are all wearing exactly the same hoodie you may think it's unstructured but all you are doing is living in an echo chamber. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you on on that one. Get rid of the no, bloody well, I, cafeteria. I don't mean to be quite as extreme as that, but it, it really, it really is. It's horrifying. Well, and, you know, you know, the, end, sorry, please. No, I was going to say at the end of the day, I think, you know, if, uh, if people start to think differently, I think that's where change happens, right? So when they start to acknowledge the fact that they have sameness going on, what are they going to do? Going back to one of my questions a little bit ago, right? What do they do when they find themselves in those situations? Like they look around the table and they go, oh my God, everyone's wearing the same hoodie. Everyone went to Stanford, everyone, whatever it might be, right? Whatever right. the sameness ends up being, 
um, getting out of that and backing up requires a leader to completely rethink. Like they have to come up with their own mindset change right. right before they can start to instill it through the company. I totally agree. And and the same same thing that I'm being childish about relative to the 26-year-old computer science grads is even worse if all your middle managers are the same. And I'm afraid sometimes that same same phenomenon and as I said, Gary Hamill says it goes to the board, but it's just a, a universal and it's really got to be you know, in the promotion. It's got to be a promotion consideration that is, uh, you know, right, right near the, the top of your list. The other the other other you know, sort of one liner like that that I use, uh, I'm a bit of a baseball fan and I call it the sacred 240 at bats. Uh, 240 is about the number of work days in a year, and 240 is therefore the number of lunch opportunities you have. And I want to grade people on their on their lunch mates. You know, I particularly talk about the thing, and I, you know, it's got to be true for you guys and everybody else. The number one thing that slows new product introductions down, work with big customers, is lousy cross-functional communication. And in my scorecard world, I'm not going to go out and invest uh, $80 billion in Oracle. I am going to tell everybody that they've got to go to lunch with people in other fashions. The way I like to talk about it, Tiffany, is, you know, we go around and we call the finance guys a bunch of jerks. And then one morning I walk, up, walk in and I call somebody in finance and say, you know, uh, Tiffany, you and I have each been at each other's throats. Let's just have lunch and talk. And the odds are incredibly high that within seven minutes of sitting down, we are both going to discover that we have 11-year-old daughters on the same soccer team at the same school, and you will still be a sales pro, and I will still be a finance pro, but we'll never look at each other again the same way. Completely agree. You know, it's sort of, you know, People, we are more the same than we are different, and I, that we could go on on that topic for hours. But you know, yeah. I want to be respectful of of our of your time, and and I'd love to just wrap this up with two things. One, I know you love these four words, so I'm going to say, what do you think? Which those are the four words Tom loves. If you ever meet him, that's what to say. What do you think is different, if anything, about leadership today? versus when you started writing about it. I know we've covered a lot, but if you were to put it into a very quick cliff note version, what would it be? Well, I'd say two contradictory things. Relative to what you and I have talked about a lot, I think what's different is the degree to which you must expose your pe yourself to different people, different ideas, and so on. You need to be re-educated every day. Uh, but I also like to remind people that people are still people. And the things that you and I have talked about, like listening, caring, smiling, saying thank you, and being warm at JetBlue and Southwest, that's as old as whenever human beings were fundamentally created. Because one of your, one of your, one of your quickie uh, questions at the very beginning had to do with artificial intelligence, which we we didn't subsequently discuss, I think, which is why I paused, I think artificial intelligence is going to give us, is going to create a lot of jobs 
comma, my concern is I think it may destroy more than it creates. Uh, and so I worry about that a lot. But, you know, I, I do this in Twitter about once a week just for the hell of it. I wake up at 7 o'clock East Coast time and going to back to my other four favorite words, which Bob Waterman and I learned at a much more youthful Hewlett-Packard 40 years ago, MBWA managing by wandering around. And my snarky tweet is always, it's 7 a.m., have you done your MBWA today? And unstructured wandering is, you know, right near the top of the list, and it was at the top of the list in 77 when we went to Hewlett-Packard. Hewlett-Packard lost it in spades in the last 20 years and you know it's that it's that stuff which atrophies particularly with fast growth i i, I want to add one if you'll let me go on for just one second <laughs> can i get of one course. extra second i of course i i didn't i i forgot the most important thing i wanted to say the most important thing i wanted to say is small companies create the majority of jobs and this is almost more said to my management guru colleagues than to most of the you know people who are who are listening into us. Uh, the magic is the six-person firm that is a low-tech firm that is so insanely pursuing excellence and achieving it. Uh, you know, I just adore those people. I adore people in boring industries with nine employees who will add two employees in the next 12 months. And, you know, the Fortune 500 only employs something like 7% of us, which means 93% of us don't work for them. So that's my little added either plus or minus at the end. Well, that's great. And the second thing would be, if you if you wouldn't mind, love to hear sort of what the new book is about that's going to be coming out next year. It's about those little people. No, it's called The Excellence Dividend, and the argument, which is completely consistent with what you and I are talking about, is embracing the new technology is incredibly important, but understanding that excellence is human. And one of the things that would have been lovely if we had had more time is I talk a lot about experience, which you were talking about from the top end. Experience is not an engineering term. Experience is about emotional connection. A guy by the name of Don Norman wrote a book called The Design of Everyday Things about 25 or 30 years ago, and it was all about usability. And he said, design is not aesthetics, it's also aesthetics and usability. And he pounded on that, and he taught Silicon Valley, and he taught the world, and then he had an epiphany. And it really is an epiphany. He was reading a review of a, of, a, uh, of a small automobile. I think it was a Morris something or other, something or other. And the reviewer said, this car has caused more smiles than any automobile. And he said, holy smokes, functionality, aesthetics, and emotional connection like cause more smiles. And I'm so terrified that this experience thing that you and I both believe in has so often been reduced to numbers and the emotion has been drained out of it. And that is exactly backwards. Well, what a fantastic ending, because I'd say for me, 
this was my morning walkabout, <laughs> having a conversation with Tom and I walking down the street. That's what it felt like to me. And uh, this experience has just been so amazing. I, 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 I really, I just appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom with my What's Next audience on this podcast today. And Tom, thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait for the new book, The Excellence Dividend, to come out next year. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Enjoyed, enjoyed it at least as much as you say you did. It was a great conversation. What's, what's more important in life, right? Wow. What an amazing 30 minutes. I just can't even begin to tell you how thrilled I was to spend some time with Tom Peters. As I mentioned, it was the very first business book I read. My stepfather actually gave it to me right before he gave me Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I guess he he saw something in me maybe I hadn't yet seen in myself, but Tom was just amazing in really shaping what excellence looks like and asking a very simple question when working with people. What do you think? Just taking that moment to step back and let them think about what they really want to tell you, being quiet and waiting before you answer the question, I think was exceptional advice. Building teams, coaching people, it's really all about the people side of business. And I think today we get so caught in all the shiny stuff, we forget that if our employees are happy, our customers are happy, and the whole organization works better. I'm really excited about his new book coming up, the Excellence Dividend. It's all about embracing new tech is important, but understanding excellence is all about the human. So a piece of advice I'm going to follow today, which Tom mentioned was management by wandering around. So I'm going to end this podcast with an idea. Take 10 minutes today and just wander around with no goal in mind. Just be quiet in your thoughts. Thank you for tuning in to the What's Next podcast. And please remember, to leave a review, a comment, share with your friends, subscribe, and I can't wait to see you again next time. Thank you for joining.